pray with me. Lord, we thank you again for this morning. Uh, We pray that you would illumine our hearts, uh, open our hearts, Lord, to receive from your word this morning. Uh, Would you anoint my thoughts and my mouth as I would share uh, what you've put on my heart for us at such a time as this. We ask this in your name. Amen. Amen. So as I said, we're starting a new sermon series on the book of Acts. Acts, uh, of course, charts the beginning of the Christian movement from uh, a small sect of Jewish believers in Jerusalem to becoming a much larger movement of multiple ethnicities uh, moving out from Israel to the regions around and then to the city-states in Asia Minor. And and it ends on a real high point, of course, with Paul uh, actually going to Rome to speak to the highest government official, which is the emperor. And so it starts very small and grows and grows uh, into a huge sort of tale of the early movement of the first church. This first chapter uh, doesn't have a lot of action, though. It's a little, it's, it's, uh, it's an in-between moment. And that's how I'd like to frame this sermon and this chapter, is to think of it as the disciples living between the ascension and the day of Pentecost. We heard about the ascension and what Audrey read from the beginning of chapter 1. Pentecost happens in chapter 2. But here they are in between these two big events. And I wanted to ask, not put your hand up, of course, but have you ever lived in an in-between moment in your own life where you felt that you are between two events or you're in a season of waiting as you anticipate some new chapter that may start soon, or maybe you don't know when it's going to start, but you feel that one thing has ended and the next thing hasn't quite started yet, and you are in between. Uh, early in our marriage, uh, right after Sarah and I got married, we were working in Eston, and, and our time at Eston came to an end. I've told this story before. Um, and we weren't sure where we were going after that. So we'd had the big wedding, right? That was a significant moment, and then we had done this work for a time, But that time was now coming to a close, and there was just sort of this open-endedness where we didn't really know where we were headed after. And it was an in-between time. We just weren't quite sure what was in store for us. We ended up coming back to Dryden, and I went back to work at the tree nursery where I'd worked through uh, high school. Um, And you can imagine that was a a bit deflating because, you know, I just finished an undergraduate degree, uh, and now you're back where you started. Uh, It was an in-between season of sort of waiting for what God would have next. It was a season of learning to trust that God was still at work and God had a plan and a purpose for us, uh, even if we couldn't really see what was coming down the road. And even if it was a little bit deflating coming off of uh, maybe the high that had just sort of happened, whatever that might have been. For us, it was kind of wedding and, and moving and all of that. And about three years after that moment, we, we received the call to come and pastor the church here. And that was definitely a, a new chapter or a new season starting in our lives. But that in-between season was important. That in-between season was about learning to be faithful even when we couldn't see what was coming next. And I so appreciated, uh, Pastor Velma, your message last week and that quote that she shared And I wanted to repeat it again. I think I've got it uh, as I was listening to it, is faith is how you live your life in the meantime. And I thought of how much that fit in with the idea of living in between. Faith is how you live in that meantime, in those in-between moments, 
how you make decisions when you don't know what is next, what you do with yourself between the last time you heard from God and the next time you hear from God. Faith is about living in that in-between moment for God. And as I reflect on the disciples here in Acts 1, they are living in an in-between moment. Again, like I said, between the ascension and Pentecost. And I think many of us have been in these moments as well. And I think for some of us, perhaps this past year and a half has felt like an in-between moment where we're living sort of stuck between two seasons. We're between life before COVID and waiting for life uh, kind of after COVID. We don't really know, right? Uh, life when we're not really worrying about restrictions and all of this anymore. And, and it feels like a, a, a season that's just kind of extended on. Do you know what I mean? It just kind of feels like, okay, we're in this mode, and then it just sort of just sort of dragged along for a while. <laughs> and you're kind of like, well, are we, was it ever going to end? You know, what are we doing? Um, and for many, the, you know, COVID and, and the regulations and all that has become such a, a focal point um, and for a lot of us in our work, it just kind of necessarily trying to navigate all of that. And so it can become very wearying uh, and very tiring, and, and it can be frustrating. And, of course, we've had times where we can't gather for worship, times where we've returned, but it's been sort of slow and gradual, and it has felt very in-between. And it's easy to just sort of disengage when you're kind of in-between instead of realizing, well, this season may go on for a bit, and so I'm called to live faithfully in this in-between moment, even if I feel stressed or weary. I was reading a, an article by Kate Shellnut in Christianity Today. It was an article called Church After the Pandemic. And she wrote this. Across the country, pastors have ushered weary congregants through virtual worship setups, lonely hospital stays, job losses, intense political tensions, and relentless, relentless debates about pandemic precautions. <laughs> Have you been in a debate about a pandemic precaution at some point in the last year and a half? She goes on, churchgoers making their way back through the sanctuary doors in 2021 will carry the weight of trauma and divides that have built up over more of a year spent apart if they decide to return to the building at all. Many have gotten used to the convenience of online worship or have checked out altogether. We have to retrain people from the beginning on why we should even bother to assemble. The immediate challenge is to get people to see the church as a community requiring their involvement rather than as content to consume on their own. A problem that was widespread even before COVID struck. Studies are showing that one half of practicing Christians have dropped out of church at some point. And 29% of senior pastors have seriously considered quitting in this past year. We have a great challenge ahead of us. People are uh, wondering and needing to relearn the importance of participating in Christian community. Again, not as something to consume, but as something to be involved in, just as Jesus calls us to be. It's easy to be gloomy about that, but there's also great hope because people are hungry to connect again. People are hungry to be in real relationships, and the church is poised to speak into that need and to combat the loneliness and the isolation as Jesus invites us into community again. And so we are navigating 
an in-between time. And there is a, a dangerous mm, precedent to just sort of disengage, to not bother. How can we combat that, and what can we learn from the disciples in Acts 1 about living faithfully in a time like this? How does Acts 1 equip us for this ministry so that rather than just disengaging or coasting, we are faithful? And that's the main theme of this message, is that Christian living will include a call for you to live faithfully in an in-between time. may not feel to you that this is an in-between time, but I think for a lot of us it can feel that way. And this passage, uh, I'm going to say, has three practices for helping us to remain faithful in in in-between times. Three practices that I want to point us to. And so the first, from verses 1 to 11... As the disciples enter into the in-between time, they do so with the story of Jesus first and foremost in their hearts. Jesus is first in their hearts. That's the first thing to do, to remain faithful in the in-between. Look at verse 3. Luke highlights that Jesus presented himself alive to them after his suffering by many proofs, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. Folks, this is the heart of Christianity that we must constantly come back to. I'm always surprised when when we ask the question, what is the gospel? That sometimes as Christians, we don't know how to respond to that. What is the gospel? Is that Jesus has suffered and died and rose again, and through him and through his work on the cross is forgiveness and salvation for our sins that we can be restored to relationship with God again. This is the gospel. This is the good news that the kingdom has come near. And the disciples are called to hold on to the center of their faith, that Christ is alive and he is with them. What can we learn from that? Well, we can remember, even as we are in between, that God has promised that he will be with those who love him and follow him. We may feel abandoned. The disciples may have felt that way. Jesus had just left, but they were not abandoned. The in-between season was part of God's plan for them. It was part of the story. And likewise for us with COVID and the seeming unending restrictions and changes and questions and frustrations uh, may seem not to end, but God is still faithful And he is still present and good even in the midst of the in-between and the unknowing of that. And we can still trust that he is with us. God doesn't promise to remove the valley or remove the real struggles in our lives, but he does promise to be with us in the valley and through the real struggles in our lives, to be present in the, the fear or the worry or the trauma or whatever it might be. And so we're called to remember that God is deeply present and Jesus is alive and with us today. And so the disciples are called to be people who remember what Jesus has done and to keep him first and foremost in their hearts. What's the second thing the disciples do? Look at verses 12 to 20. As they keep Jesus first and foremost in their hearts, the disciples hold a prayer vigil and they deal with Judas's suicide. Verse 14 points out 
that they are joined together constantly in prayer. This is the idea of being in one accord, and it, it highlights their unity. It emphasizes, again, the importance of their faithfulness, uh, their faithfulness to the relationship with God in difficult times, in prayer. Uh, I wish all of us, and I myself included, took the time and energy to foster a deeper life of prayer. And uh, as, as we kind of relaunch ministries and whatnot for this fall, and as we figure out when the best time to meet for our weekly prayer gathering is, I encourage you to be part of it. I was thinking of there's 168 hours in a week. Can I give one hour to corporate prayer? I think I probably can. It, it seems hard to find that time, but when I sit back and go, yeah, I think I probably can try and find the time to set aside an hour. It's from this place of prayer and uh, remembering Jesus and what he's done that Peter gives his speech and he highlights Judas's downfall and the need for that leadership position to be replaced. And, and I think we should not overlook the courage of those who put their names forward. Right? They put forward too. This is verse 23. Joseph and, uh, and Matthias. That would have been a pretty courageous thing to do. They have no idea what's in store for them. Right? Jesus has just been killed. Not long before. What do we learn from this? The praying and the dealing with Judas. I think we're called to deal honestly with what's happening in our lives. To deal honestly with the tragedy, perhaps, that happens in life. Many talk about COVID as a worldwide uh, trauma that we're all affected in different ways. And there's a grief to what we've lost. Uh, for example, I ran into a, uh, really a friend of my mom's, um, Heading as we were heading into the bank one day, and she told me how her husband had passed away not long before, a couple months before, and uh, very suddenly. They knew he was sick, but his actual passing happened really quickly. And uh, she, was, she was breaking down because they, you know, I mean, it was so sudden, but also because there was no, there was no funeral. There was no um, closure. For this loss. Um, their family wasn't nearby. It wasn't as though they could really gather even with loved ones. And uh, she was suffering from that loss in the middle of all of this. And, uh, you know, I had, a, I had an opportunity to be pastorally present to her and to extend grace to her and hope to her. But she needed to and was willing to, thankfully, deal with the tragedy that she was facing in her life. And so here does Peter deal with the issue of Judas and what they need to do uh, because of Judas no longer being with them. This is a sidebar for sure, but I think it's important because the text brings it up as, is just to talk about suicide for just a second. Um, that's, suicide's difficult to discuss, but we really can't ignore it. And I just want to mention three things. Again, this is a sidebar. Really, really quickly, and I'm drawing on um, my New Testament professor, Dean Pinter. So, Dean, if you're listening to this, thank you. The first thing I just want to say about suicide is that however tragic it is for the, the victim and the family, and it is very tragic, suicide is never regarded in Scripture 
as an unpardonable sin. It's clearly not part of God's heart, but there is not a suggestion that those who take their lives are somehow beyond God's grace or beyond grief. The second thing I would say is it's remarkable to consider how many of the patriarchs and the prophets in the Bible deal um, with their own struggle uh, to will to live. It's really like a who's who from Scripture. Moses, Elijah, David, Jonah, Jeremiah, all face uh, sometimes the struggle to will to live. And that is a good reminder for us that deep faith and commitment to God can go hand in hand with a struggle to will to live. Just because one might be struggling with the will to live doesn't mean uh, that they've lost faith entirely. There's other processes going on. The third thing I want to say is we have resources to meet the risk of suicide. There's prayer, there's scripture, the fellowship of the church community, the empowering presence of the spirit, and all that's very important. It's part of maintaining health and hope in our lives. Yet there are also times where we need additional professional medical or mental health. And we should not shame those who need that extra help. And we should love ourselves enough to seek that help when we need it. I think it's worth noting to remember that both Judas and Peter betrayed Jesus. And Peter was restored, but Judas ultimately didn't live enough to know the end of the story. And so suicide's a real struggle for many, and I just want to acknowledge as a church that thoughts of, of the struggle to will to live are not automatically just signs of insufficient faith or lack of devotion to God. Uh, each life is precious, and we need to come alongside those who are struggling and love them well and get the help that we so often need. Sidebar closed. But because the text brings it up, I wanted to mention that from the pulpit. So, so far, what can we learn about living in between? First, the disciples enter the period with Jesus first and foremost on their hearts. Second, they're marked by unity in prayer. They deal with the tragedies before them. And thirdly and lastly, before we head to the table, in verses 21 to 26, the disciples cast lots as they're waiting. Jesus is gone. One of their own has taken his life. You think that the disciples could be despairing? And what do they do? They say, we're going to pray together, we're going to listen to Scripture, and we're going to discern God's will for who's going to replace Judas. We're going to cast lots. Casting lots is kind of like flipping a coin uh, for us today. And perhaps uh, they're remembering passages like Proverbs 16.33, which says, the lot is cast into the lap, but its every decision is from the Lord. It was a way of saying, God, we're going to give this up to you. Whichever way it falls, we'll trust is, is from your hand. Sort of like the passage in Proverbs 16.9 that says, In their hearts humans plan their course, but the Lord establishes their steps. Right? And so the disciples cast lots to fill a current need. And what can you and I learn from this? I think it's important for us to realize they are dealing with an issue that is before them and giving it to God. And for you and I, what is the issue or what are the areas in life that are currently open-ended for you? Are there decisions you need to be making 
about your life? Is there business you need to attend to? Do you need to face something that needs to be decided and to do that to the best of your ability, living today for God and trusting that he will guide your steps, relying on the inspiration of the Spirit to face what needs to be faced today well? It's easy for us to disengage. It would have been easy for the disciples to say, let's just keep it at 11. <laughs> it's not worth getting into it. Right? But they say, no, we realize a need needs to be filled. They would have been friends with Judas, right? They're, they're probably grieving in some respects. I mean, also he's betrayed. So you can imagine the emotions, right? But we need to deal with what's in front of us and entrust that to God. So three things for us in the in-between. The disciples keep Jesus central. Folks, we need to keep Jesus central as a church, but also individually in our lives, especially during this season with COVID as it continues to go on. Secondly, the disciples devote themselves to prayer and community, and they deal honestly with the tragedies that are happening. And in the same way, folks, we need to be people of prayer and who are invested in our Christian community, uh, who are living out the gospel of Jesus to the best of our ability to live for him. Thirdly, the disciples commit their decisions uh, to the Lord. They give it to him. They're waiting on him. And in the same way, we too are called to commit our, our daily decision-making, our lives, to Jesus and trust that he will direct our steps. There was obviously a moment in our lives, as I said, where I knew God was turning the page and that in-between time was finishing and we were starting something new. But I'm grateful for that in-between season. Because there was a, a learning that God was wanting to do in me. He was asking me to just simply trust him and to practice contentment and to be a witness for him right where I was planted. And it didn't seem very big or flashy, you know? It was like I was working with trees and dirt. But I was called to be content with where God had led me to give my daily decisions over to him, to be faithful with, uh, with the small things that he had given me, right? To just trust that he had got, he's got us. He's got us. To live faithfully for him. To be involved in prayer. To be involved in my church community as best as I can. Sarah and I were leading young adults at the time. And to be a witness for him right where I was planted. And so for us today, for you, remember that God has a good plan and he will see you through. And he calls us to live faithfully in those in-between moments. May we know him in the waiting and the hoping. May it prompt us to want to foster a deeper life in him, a deeper commitment to prayer, a deeper commitment to face the tragedies honestly that come our way and ultimately to choose to commit our lives and our decisions to the Lord and to trust him and to follow him in such a time as this. Amen? Let's pray together as we head to the table. Lord Jesus, we thank you uh, that you call us into moments where we wonder, Lord, what you are doing and where you are leading. God, it's really easy to just kind of coast along and disengage from you and from each other. 
but you call us to live faithfully. And so, Lord, like the disciples in our text this morning, we pray that we would keep you first and foremost in our hearts. Lord, we pray that you would make us a people of prayer. Lord, we pray that you would knit us together in unity as the disciples are here. We pray, Lord, that we would be able to deal honestly with the hurt and the grief that we experience where one is grieving, that we can mourn with those who mourn. Lord, we pray that you would also help us to face the decisions that need to be made, not to run from them, but to do what we can to the best of our ability and to trust that you will establish our steps. You will direct our steps. We plan our way, but you direct our steps. Lord, I pray that you would care for those who are in need today in this room, those who are maybe listening online, those who can't be here, Lord. We pray for those who are sick today, that you would bring healing and life. For the issues in our world, Lord, we pray for you to come with justice and with truth. We pray, Lord, that your name would be known upon the earth. Lord, that you would minister to the poor and the needy. And Jesus, as we come to this table today, we don't want to come in an unworthy manner. Lord, we pray you would create in us clean hearts, that you would sustain us by your Holy Spirit. And friends, before we come to the table, I'm just going to invite you into a moment of, of silence. Just as, uh, and take this time to just reflect and to pray for others. Ask God if there's anything going on in your life that you need to give to him before we come to the table. Let's take that moment now. Lord, and with the words you taught us, we pray together. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Amen.